born in a day. And so that began the last days. Let me tell you, everything concerning end times rotates around Israel. And uh, so, so keep your eyes on any news concerning Israel. And, then, and, and so the last days started. So there's a generation that started in 1948. And so we know the times are getting close. And as you look at the time we're in, I believe we're in the last of the last days because the Bible also says it'll be like in the days of Noah. People will just be doing whatever makes them feel good, their pleasure and all kinds of stuff, doing what they think is right. And then, boom, God shuts the door of the ark and it starts raining. It was too late at that point for them. And there's going to come a time where it's going to be too late for people here. And so every time people start going, well, who's the Antichrist? You know, people have thought Hitler was the Antichrist. People thought, um, you know, I guess every, depending on which political party you're in, it could have been Bush was the Antichrist or Obama or, you know, whoever, Trump, whatever. You know, but the Antichrist is going to come out of the old Roman Empire. And so this, this uh, last two years, I mentioned the other day, has done a couple of things that um, has accelerated Bible prophecy. One is COVID kind of set up this worldwide thing going on. You see where governments have taken control over things they never had control over before. Would you have ever thought that the government would tell us to stay home and we would do it? I, I would have said, no, we're rebellious people. And some were. Because the number one 911 call during the lockdown, initial lockdown, was, hey, my neighbor down the street has got 15 people over at their house, and they're having a party, and you need to come arrest them all. Well, we didn't go arrest them all, but, you know, that was the number one 911 call. It wasn't, hey, they're robbing a bank. No, they're having a barbecue. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, because I always thought, you know, all the movies show kids turning their parents in for having a Bible. I said, nobody would ever do that. If they'll call about a barbecue, they're going to call about a Bible. I mean, you know, so those, it, it set things up. It set things up for governmental control and of things that they shouldn't have control over and stuff like that. And then the Russia-Ukrainian war, what that's done is Russia is uniting that Gog and Magog coalition, which is going to include Iran, and it actually will include the Ukraine as part of that territory. And it may not be now. <clears throat> but, uh, but because Ukraine is whipping them on the ground if it weren't for missiles and air force. But uh, <clears throat> we know at some point Ukraine's going to join in and go against Israel. And, uh, and so I think with a Jewish president, Zelensky, that wouldn't happen. So at some point he's not going to be president when this comes to the final fruition. But uh, the Gog-Magog coalition is starting to come together. You've got Russian troops in, in and around Israel uh, in, in Lebanon, Syria, and places like that. And, uh, and so that's going to happen at some point. It's also united the old Roman Empire like never before. You've got countries that were part of Rome. Uh, in a, in, in, uh, I think it's in Daniel. He talks about the statue, and he's got ten toes. That's a coalition of nations that make up the Roman Empire. Well, the first Roman Empire wasn't a coalition. Rome conquered everybody, all right? And uh, so for it to be a coalition, so the, the Daniel's vision of the statue has not, uh, has not happened yet. But that's happening because now you've got countries wanting to join the EU and NATO that were never part of it. And it's, and it's unifying that old Roman Empire and the Gog and Magog thing. And so it's interesting times to be in. So where's Antichrist? Who is he? And, and all this kind of stuff. So let's look at some scriptures about that. And uh, 1 John 4, uh, verses 2 and 3, 
uh, John is writing, he says this, this is how you recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. Now, that's kind of, you first you got to recognize the real deal, right? So you don't fall for the fake. It's kind of like when bankers are learning how to tell the difference between real money and, and counterfeit. They learn what real money is. And, uh, and so we need to learn what the voice of God sounds like. And that's why we want you in your word and in groups and studying and all those kinds of things. And, and then he says this, But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is from God, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and is now already in the world. Now listen, I believe that the, there is an actual person that's the Antichrist. I don't know if he's alive now or not. Uh, but he will come up out of that Roman Empire and uh, he will rise to power after the, I believe, after the rapture of the church. I'm a pre-trip guy. I'm going up in the first elevator. You want to wait, wait around to the second elevator? Be my guest, all right? But I want to go up first. I want to miss what Revelation describes as the tribulation. And uh, so everyone here that has, has uh, received Jesus as your Savior, you're, you're gonna, you'll be with me and Pastor Kathy up in the air, and we'll miss all this. But there's an actual person that's the Antichrist that's coming, but I believe the spirit of the Antichrist is already here. And, uh, and so uh, Jesus is coming, and, uh, but there, the spirit of the Antichrist is here. So tribulation will begin with the four horses of the apocalypse in uh, Revelation uh, 6. We're going to look at a little bit of this. And uh, they may or may, may not be here, but just like the spirit of the Antichrist, the spirit is here, and you'll see some similarities. So look at Revelation 6, verse 2. It said, I looked, and therefore before me was a white horse, its rider held a bow and was given a crown, and he rode out to conquer, bent on conquest. Now, there are some people that think that this is Jesus, but he's first before everything else happens. And so there are other commentators that believe it's the Antichrist, or some commentators just believe it's the spiritual condition of our culture that's always wanting to conquer and conquest and get more and more and more. And so the white horse represents, you can write this down, disruption and deception. Disruption, he seems like he's got the answers. He's, he's on the white horse. So it seems like it might be Jesus, but it's not. And, uh, and so uh, there's going to be a lot of chaos and a lot of turmoil and deception. Would anybody disagree that we got some deception going on around this world? I mean, how do you, I don't believe anything any of them say. Uh, I don't care what political party they are because it, and what country they are. You know, uh, when you've got Russia saying, hey, look, United States has chemical warfare labs in, in the Ukraine. We might. I don't know. <laughs> you know, and, and, and we're saying, and we were real fast to deny that, which tells me we probably do. I'm, you know, so, I mean, uh, you know, I don't believe anything any of them say because there's this disruption and deception. People in leadership around our world will say whatever they need to say to motivate their people. The people of Russia don't know what we know about what's going on in this war, for instance. Uh, you know, they only know what Putin is telling them because they don't have freedom of the press. You know, the CEO of Google a couple of weeks ago had to, it's not KGB anymore, it's the FSS. They showed up at his door and said, you will take this off your platform or we're taking you to prison today. They didn't say, hey, like we want you to take this down, like our president would have to. 
And then they can say, no, we won't. They said, no, you're going to prison, and you're not going to like our prison because there's no cable TV in there. There's no food. There's no way. You don't even have a bathroom, and that's where we're taking you, Mr. CEO, if you don't do this. Well, they don't know anything that's a lot of what we know. And so there's all kinds of disruption and deception. I mean, think about what's going on with the disruption of food chain and supply chain. If you try, I mean, we've been looking for a car. We just got a new car, but we've been looking for over a year because they didn't have the color and the stuff we wanted. I figure if we're going to buy a car, uh, I wanted to get the gadgets. Y'all know I'm a gadget guy, right? Apple. And, and one of the things the car had to do was work with an iPhone. I, I don't care about Android. I mean, you know, it's got to work with an iPhone. It's, it's got to be a saved car. And, uh, and so uh, we finally found one, but it's taken a year to find one. And, uh, and so there's, why? Because the car manufacturers aren't getting chips. Where are our chips made? China, and we're kind of at odds with China in a little bit. And so, and, 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 and so everything, there's just been this huge disruption of life, right? I mean, how many of you like the empty shelves at Walmart and, or the empty shelves at wherever you go? I mean, you know, you get down to where you used to have like five different brands of something you could pick from. Now it's grocer's brand or whatever. You know, they're trying to force, yeah, where's my green giant? Where's my, you know, and, and, and all this. And so there's just been this big disruption. And then uh, someone's going to come along with a supposed solution, and that'll be the Antichrist that'll do that. Now, now, verse 4 of Revelation 6, it said, Then another horse came out, a fiery red one, a fiery red horse. And its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and make men kill each other. To him was given a large sword. Now, would anybody disagree <laughs> that we live in a time where there's not a whole lot of peace on the earth right now? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you've got, you've got people, there's a lot of people killing. So write this down, the red horse really brings about fear and violence because where there's no peace, you've got wars going on, you've got, you've got all kinds of violence around the world. I mean, I, I mean, just think about people don't even want to get out of their houses. If you live in New Orleans, you're probably smart not to do this. You don't, or Chicago or New York City or L.A. or San Francisco, uh, you know, you don't want to leave your house because you're going to get carjacked. I mean, you know, the, the carjacking is going crazy or armed robbery or People meeting you, and so a lot of there's a lot of fear and stuff going on about that, and and uh, and so people are afraid to do anything, and and that fear and violence is coming along, and it's it's just it's caused by the violence that's going on. I mean, there are more young men killed in our country than we're losing in war in our cities every day. You know, we get upset about we lose people in a war or. Or, heaven forbid, if a police officer shoots somebody, everybody goes crazy. But, but for every one person a police officer might shoot, there's a hundred that have killed each other in our cities. And it's just happening over and over. Pastor Kathy and I and uh, some of our other chaplains are on death scenes all the time. And, uh, and, and it just it's happening. It's the drug culture. It's that i got to have it now. I'm going to carjack people and, and all that stuff. So it's caused a lot of fear and violence which is going to lead to this next thing. Look at this next verse. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard a third living creature say, Come, I looked, and there was before me a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hands. Now, in the New Testament, scales represent buying and selling. And, uh, and so he said, Then I heard what sounded like a voice among four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a day's wages. 
three quarts of barley for a day's wages. And do not damage the oil and the wine. Now, about six years ago, if you'd have read that, you'd have been going, oh, that's all right. Gas about a buck seventy-one, you know, all this stuff. Now you read it, and it's what this verse is talking about is, is incredible inflation. That enough food for you to eat is going to cost you a whole day's wage. In other words, you're just working to eat. And, and, and so he's talking about huge inflation. So the black horse represents economic collapse. And, uh, and so don't look at me like you're scared to death. We're going to overcome this, okay? And spiritually, number one, remember, first elevator, first elevator. And, uh, but economic collapse. I want to prepare us, though, for what's coming. And so you're going to see that. And you already see the inflation going crazy. Uh, not just here. I mean, there are countries where the inflation's gone up so much, uh, their whatever currency it is, not, their version of the dollar is worth nothing. Venezuela, places like that, uh, you know, Russia, the ruble is not worth anything right now, and uh, and so uh, and and so you're going to see an economic collapse. Then look what happens. I looked there, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death and Hades, and and was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague. Now we've experienced a lot of death with COVID, but we hadn't experienced this. Because the numbers would be about two and a half to three billion people that would die in this, in this curse, okay? And so you need to understand that. So you're going to kill a fourth of the population of the world. If there's six billion, you know, it's eight billion from my math, that would be two billion people that would, would, uh, would die. And so by sword, famine, plague, and wild beasts of the earth. And we hadn't experienced that, but, but that's what it's talking about. And so the pale horse is disease and death. Write that down. The pale horse is disease and death. Now, that's going to naturally follow war, violence, famine, and all that kind of stuff, right? You're going to have death and disease. And, and so if you think about it, we, we're focused on the Ukraine right now. But in Yemen, there's been over 100,000 people killed in that war, and, and way more than that are refugees uh, into Saudi Arabia. And, and so... You know, which a little side note, we wonder why Saudi Arabia didn't just give us more oil. We've, you know, always done that. Well, we cut off their military supplies to fight the, the Houthi rebels in Yemen. And, uh, and so they're kind of losing a war of their own that doesn't make any of our headlines. And, you know, in, in the Arab culture, fair-weather friends are not welcome. And so it's like, okay, y'all not selling us military stuff. We're not giving y'all oil. And, uh, and so that's why we were looking at Iran and Venezuela and places and we just need to make it ourselves. But, but uh, you know, you've got disease and death that are going to follow. Then, then in Ethiopia, they call it ethnic cleansing, but it's been Muslims killing Christians. Hundreds of thousands of people have been killed in Ethiopia. And, uh, and then, of course, uh, the Ukraine. Jeremiah prophesied all this, and he prophesied of a time when, when the people of God might not be ready for it. And for the last two years... Most, uh, you know, you, for the first year especially, you heard people saying, I can't wait to get back to normal. Anybody said that? Remember the term we came up with after Katrina? It's a new normal. Guys, we got a new normal. We're never going back to the normal before COVID came. It never goes back that far. Just like the price of gas isn't going back down uh, to 50 cents a gallon like I, like I grew up with, you know, and stuff like that. And, and so we, we look for it. I, and, and listen, I... I don't think we'll have that normal again. I just don't think we'll have it. 
So we've got to know how to recognize it and prepare for it. So let's look at how we can run with the horses. Jeremiah 12, 5, he said this, God said to Jeremiah, So Jeremiah, if you're worn out in this foot race with men, what makes you think you can race against the horses? In other words, if you can't even handle life when it's not bad, what are you going to do during this tough time? What are you going to do when times get tough? And I want you to be able to run with these horses. And, and, uh, and so it goes on to say, and if you can't keep your wits during calm, what's going to happen when troubles break loose like the Jordan River in a flood? Well, folks, we're in a flood. And, uh, and as, as much as I would love to change the circumstances, I can't do anything about what governments do other than vote for different leaders uh, about shutdowns and lockdowns and all that. I can't do anything about what Putin's doing. And I told somebody the other day, if I was a young guy and I was single and unattached, I'd probably go over there and fight with him or something, you know. But I'm an old guy and I'm attached and I'm not. But, you know, and so, uh, you know, but, but uh, you know, I can't do anything about that. But what I can do is give you the Word of God. And, uh, and, and listen, we can be in a season of disruption and deception, disease and death, fear, violence, and economic collapse, and we can rise above it because God promises us this. Now, if you ever want to study end times, there's a lot of different paths, not all in Revelation. 1 Thessalonians uh, 4 and 5 have a lot about the second coming in there. And then, of course, there's Daniel and there's uh, Ezekiel and stuff like that and in Matthew 24 and, and all those passages. But in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5, he actually takes a break and gives a set of instructions of what to do, I believe, during this time leading up. To the tribulation, and so he gives kind of a checklist in First Thessalonians five, and that's what we're going to look at. And there's nine of them. We're not doing all nine today. Somebody say Amen. We're going to do four, or just a few, and then uh, so let, let me give them to you. Number one, run with covering. In other words, you're not going to try and do this alone. Kind of like I've been listening to Pastor Kathy all day yesterday, all night last night. I told you not to do that alone. You know, and so, you know, but we don't need to do this life alone. That's why we have churches. That's why we have groups. That's why we want this family feel. That's why we eat, not just to eat. We eat for two reasons on Wednesdays, to make it easy for you to come to church. And you know what? When you're sitting around a table eating with somebody, you build friendships that you don't normally do sitting right here. Uh, you know, and so uh, we, that's one of the reasons. So you're going to run with covering. It's, you, we weren't designed. Remember, God said it's not good for mankind to be alone. And, uh, and so we weren't designed to do things alone. We're, we're, that's why he made families. That's why we have churches, spiritual families. And, and God has put authorities in our lives. So let me just give you some of, the, some of the things or organizational structures he's put in our life. One is civil leadership. You know, God from when, uh, has orchestrated civil leadership. For instance, mayors. For us, it's mayors. Governors, legislative branch, Congress, police are part of those leaders that God has put in place. Read Romans 13. Uh, teachers, if you're a student. Parents, if you're a kid. Uh, parents, just make sure your kids that are in kids' church watch this tonight, today. And, uh, parent, you know, kids are, to, that's the civil leadership that's over them. Bosses, those are, those are structures that are in place to help provide order and safety. Another one is spiritual leadership, pastors, small group leaders, stuff like that. Uh, uh, the other one would be workplace, your bosses if you're at work, principals, teachers, and stuff like that in school. And then finally for children, it's parents. And I would say even to adults, 
The Bible says, honor your father and mother and, uh, so that you may live long and, and do well, you know. And, and so there's a blessing with that. doesn't mean that you honor even, you know, I'll get into that another time. But anyway, well, let me just go ahead and, and do it. First Thessalonians, he says this, Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love. So we got to learn this principle of honor. And, uh, and, and so, like honoring parents, honoring those. My dad taught my brother and me to honor them. Uh, when we were young, if we did wrong, we got a spanking. And he told us, you do wrong, I'm going to spank you. And he had a razor strap, Ronnie, that a barber gave him that he sharpened the razors on. And that thing was, it was a great weapon of torture. And, uh, and so he said, you'll get a whipping if you do something wrong. If you lie, I'm really going to tear you up. But he said, boys, if you talk back to your mother, I'm going to beat the hell out of you man to man. It's like, okay. Mama's been dead a couple years now, and I still ain't talked back to her, all right? And so, you know, because I was afraid daddy might rise up out of the grave and come after me. And, uh, but, but it says, honor your father and mother so that it will go well with you and you'll live long in the land. And, and so he taught us to honor and, and, and so we need to honor. Now, I know not every parent is honorable, but you can honor without obeying. You can honor, it means you just don't, I mean, with what Joyce Myers did as far as honoring her parents, uh, she was raped and abused by her father. And later in life, she took them in and built them a house and then paid for nursing home and did all that for them because she felt God told her to do it. And her dad finally apologized before he died and accepted Christ. And, and, and uh, this man that had raped her repeatedly as a child. That's a God thing. That's a God thing. And so we honor. And, uh, and, and so we need, to, we need to understand. It's the principle of honor. Write this down. We're always better together. We're always better together. And so we want to stand under the coverings that God's put in our lives. And, uh, and, and, and don't get disconnected. Pastor Kathy always says the banana gets away from the bunch, gets peeled. And uh, so you, you want to stay together. Second is run with ministry. You know, approach the problem not from the viewpoint of how can I help myself or protect myself, but what can I do to help and protect others? Uh, run with ministry. Paul said this in 1 Thessalonians 5. He said, brothers and sisters, we urge you, warn those who are lazy Encourage those who are timid, take tender care of those who are weak, and be patient. Sounds kind of like ministry to me. He says you got to warn those uh, who are lazy. Uh, you know, get them to work, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, my dad had to warn my brother and me a couple times when we were younger. And Encourage those who are timid. Take tender care of those who are weak, and, and, and we want to minister. And he's, he's saying we've got a choice of being somebody that's just going to try and take or being somebody that's going to give and help others. Now, one of the things that's rampant in our culture today is depression. And uh, one of the ways that we get people out of depression is to have a purpose in life. You've got to have a purpose that's, that's bigger than you. It's almost impossible to get out of depression, a state of depression, not knowing why you're here. And, uh, and so uh, the moment that you start doing something to help others, though, it begins to help you. And, uh, and so if you find yourself in a place or a season... Uh, that's causing you fear, that's causing you to want to run and hide, you'll end up in deeper depression for number one. But if you'll step up and say, listen, I was made for this season, 
With God's help, I'll get through it. And uh, you'll be amazed at what God will do. So the antidote for needing ministry is to do ministry. The antidote for needing ministry is to do ministry. When you start helping other people, you start finding out, I don't need the help I thought I needed. Because it, it, God just has a way of taking care of that. If you're whining about needing help, step up and help somebody else. I mean, listen, one of the visions I have for our church is, 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 is not just to do some of the outreaches we've done. We've done a lot for a smaller church. And, and listen, we think we're small, but we're bigger than about 80% of churches around America. And, uh, and so, but I see a church where maybe we do some kind of serve day once a quarter where we go out and, and help somebody. It might be a shut-in, might be a widow, might be, might be something in the community where we help somebody. It might be an outreach of different kinds where we've done good as far as outreach to the needy. We've done the food giveaways, supply giveaways after storms. But, but thinking of ways to minister and reach out to different people groups. You know, one of the things I'm, I'm thinking we need to do, I, I heard this idea on K-Love. A, a church took and went and made an arrangement with a gas station. How cool is this? And they got up to take a dollar a gallon off of everybody's gas until they ran out of the, whatever they had. What if we took $1,000 and we passing out literature or $500 to the people that come through and get gas instead of, Three, whatever it is, eighty-nine a gallon. It was two eighty-nine a gallon. Man, that'd be a big help to a lot of people, wouldn't it? I mean, just think. I see, I see a church full of people that are doing stuff like that. It, you know, and and those are some things that we need to do. So the antidote to needing ministry is to go do ministry. We want to rise up and and we want to do those kinds of things. The third thing, we're going to run. We're going to run with grace. Now I want to tell you, grace is an interesting thing. It's not. You know, there's a lot of people can confuse grace and mercy. So write this down. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. That's like mercy's getting pulled over for speeding, and you know you were going 90, and the guy lets you off. That's mercy. Grace is when you get something you didn't deserve. You get something you didn't deserve. Like somebody paid your lunch ticket. Because they saw you in the restaurant and just wanted to pay for your lunch. Pastor Kathy and I have had that happen. I keep trying to find out where that guy's going next. But anyway, uh, you know, he'll pay our lunch. Now, I didn't deserve for him to pay my lunch. He really paid it because of her. But uh, she didn't deserve it either. But he paid it. And that's what, that's what grace is. And, and so, uh, you know, a, a lot of people are oriented towards mercy. But we need to be oriented towards grace as well. Look what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5.15. See that no one ever pays back evil for evil. That's mercy. We don't ever need to get into the game of, oh, they did this to me, I'm going to do this to them. We don't ever need to do that. And let me tell you something, y'all. I want to do that as bad as you do, okay? I just want you to know that. Pastor Kathy will go, Robert, slow down. Somebody cut me off. Used to. I, now I don't because everybody's got guns. It's like, you know, but, but it used to. I said, well, I'm going to catch up with them. I'm going to catch up with them. I'm going to give them the ugly eye. I'm going like, to pull back in their lane a little quick. You know, I mean, listen, y'all. I mean, you, you know, I'm not the only one. Y'all have all thought that kind of stuff, too. I mean, so, you know. <laughs> we, need, we need to not just give mercy to people. That's evil for evil. But he says, always do good. That's to grace them. Do good for them. So maybe you do show them mercy. What's something good I can do for this person? What's something I can do to show them God's love? 
you know, maybe maybe a waitress. Here's real practical. Is that gives you terrible service today. I get stuck. I'm an over tipper. If somebody pampers me, they're getting a good one. All right, and uh, I'll get the little alerts from Capital One. Said, did you mean to leave a 45% tip? And it'd be like, yeah, uh, you know, and and stuff. And then, but but then if they give me a bad service. I, I still overtip them. No, we always leave a little red Bible, and uh, and and sometimes we'll ask them, you know, can I pray for you? We had one lady break down and cry at a restaurant one time, and and start crying because uh, she was going through a horrible divorce. I mean, and stuff. And so, you never know, but uh, you want to grace them and and do something good for them. And so, when they're having that bad day, I'm just hoping that maybe my tip will make them be nicer to the next customer. You know, so uh, listen, would you agree with me that people are a little bit on edge these days? I always tease Pastor Kathy that I'll keep her iced tea. She always gets a go-cup when we go to lunch and uh, of iced tea. And I'll keep it when I drop her off at the jail if, if I'm dropping her off because I'll say I don't want you to get edgy. A caffeine will make her edgy. Would you agree that people are a little bit edgy today? And, uh, and so we need to do what we can to smooth that edge. And let me tell you about not paying back evil for evil and doing good when people do us evil, we will we'll do that. We need to step into situations and help people. This is like that gas thing. I think that would be a, an awesome thing for us to just take a, it doesn't have to be a lot even, $250, $500, whatever, and you just got to find a gas station to do it and give literature for our church, invite them to our church. Look, God loves you. River Church loves you. And we just wanted to save you a dollar a gallon today. Uh, you know, put it on Facebook, probably a line down the street. But, uh, but you know, we want to do that. Uh, how many of you have ever seen the movie Le Miserable? Uh, it's a great movie, Jean Von John, uh, Val John, steals from this priest, right? And he gets caught. He steals all this silver. This priest has done something good. And, and they bring him back, and they said, is this your stuff? And he said, yes, it is, but I gave it to him. And, and he says, Jean, you forgot these these, these, and he gives him more of the silver. And, and, uh, and so the, the police officer is just wanting to prove that it was, I mean, oh, he, and that really puts John Von John back on his, on his feet. That's the, the basis of his fortune that he got caught. And, and so, but our tendency is to say, yeah, he stole from me. I want to take him to court. But this guy did good, not only showed mercy, but did good to somebody. We want to be those kind of people. Write this down. Don't give people what they deserve. Give them what they need. I mean, God didn't give us what we deserve. I deserve for him to step on me like a bug. And, uh, but he didn't. He gave me Jesus. And, uh, and, and so we need to give people what they need. The fourth thing is we need to run with joy. Here's a verse you can memorize. This is an easy one. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. Always be joyful. Three words. Depending on your translation, I like this one. Always re, re, be joyful. Uh, there's the NIV says rejoice always. <laughs> so there's two words. Just remember that one. Always be joyful. It's difficult. I mean, you know, how do you be joyful when when things aren't going well? How do you be joyful when you feel like crying? How do you? How can you be joyful when the future's uncertain? Uh, how can you be joyful when it feels like we're on the cusp of a world war? There's only one answer. You've got to make a choice. You're not going to feel like it, but you've just got to choose to do this. And, and in, in Nehemiah 8.10, he says this, Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. 
The joy of the Lord is your strength. It's not my joy. It's the joy of the Lord that becomes my strength. And we've got a choice to run with joy. We don't, it, it doesn't, listen, it doesn't help to be depressed. It doesn't help to be afraid. It doesn't help to be edgy, angry. We can, we can choose that we're going to be joyful. Let me tell you, I chose a long time ago when I heard a story. I forget if it was John Maxwell or somebody told, told this, but a long time ago, they were telling a story about a guy that was walking down the sidewalk in New York City, and this guy, he bought a paper from a guy, and the guy was rude to him. And the man with him said, why did you tip him when he was so rude? He said, because I made a decision that I wasn't going to let other people determine how I react to them. And so I made that decision. I am choose to be joyful even though everything's crazy. I choose to be joyful no matter what happens to me, no matter what happens to our family, our church, the West Bank. I am going to stay in the joy of the Lord. It's a choice. It's a choice. Now, maybe you've been more afraid than joyful. Maybe you've been more depressed than joyful. It's a decision that we've got to make. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, that word rejoice, it's like retread, or we've we got to do it again. Some of y'all have been joyful, so you need to re-joyful. <laughs> you need to do it again. You've got to get rejoiced, uh, you know, a little play on words there, but I love what Kay Warren said. She said this, joy is the determined choice to praise God in all things. Now, notice it says all things, not for all things. Even when you're going through a tough time, it's the determined choice to praise God in all things. I said a few weeks ago, we need to focus on what's left, not what's lost. And so we can always rejoice in all things. So I believe as we apply these four things in our life, and there's there's uh, five more to go, not today. We learn to stay under covering. If we learn to run with ministry and look for how we can help others and who can I help. And, and listen, the speed uh, in which you run is going to be quicker when you realize you were made for today. I believe God put each one of us here for today. He didn't, that's why we weren't born in the 1800s and I, or whenever. You know, none of us were in the 1800s, okay? So uh, some of us almost, but you know. <laughs> but none of us were born in the 1800s or 1600s. We're put here today for this, to, do, to make a difference, to be a light in our families, in our world today. So we want to run undercover. We want to run with ministry. We want to run with grace. We're not going to give people what they deserve, that honk, that ugly eye, whatever, cutting them off. I'm going to give them what they need. And then the joy of the Lord is going to be my strength. I'm going I'm to run with joy. I love to read and listen to John Maxwell. I get a thing every, uh, every, week, every day that comes uh, from him called A Minute with Maxwell. One day he's telling a story about his dad. John Maxwell's dad was Melvin Maxwell. He was 98 when he died. And uh, Mama was 99. And, and uh, so John, uh, John Maxwell did his dad's funeral. And uh, he had, he had, Melvin had ministry going on in 40 different retirement homes in Florida. Nursing home, retirement home, uh, I don't know what degree at different times he was in. And, and he was a strong witnesser. And, uh, and Maxwell tells the story. He said he would, he would talk to somebody, and he'd just come right out and ask and say, do you have a relationship with Jesus? And I'm thinking, uh, you know, people would ask him, why, somebody asked him, why do you, are you so direct? And I thought his answer would be, I don't have much time. I'm 98. You know what I mean? You know? But he said, why would I want to beat around the bush when I'm trying to give somebody something that will make their life so much better. 
And so you just ask them, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Do you know Jesus? So let me ask you today, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? I mean, you might be wondering, you know, if, if the issues that you face in life right now are that you're going to make it through it. Or maybe you're, you're look at what the world's going on and you wonder, are we going to be here much longer? Uh, you need a relationship with Jesus, a personal relationship. I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about just like we're friends, a relationship with Jesus. And it starts with a choice. It's a simple, it's the easiest thing you'll ever do, but it's going to cost you everything. See, he gives you his life, and we give him our lives. So I want everybody to bow your heads, close your eyes just for a moment. Band, y'all can come on up too. I want to ask you, if you're here today, and you know for certain that if one of the Russian missiles hit this building, and we were all blown to smithereens, Every 